This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. This week's episode is brought to you by Outpost Advisors. You know, there are a lot of places where you can go and talk with someone about your money. Even so, it can be hard to know whether they're trying to sell you financial products or if they're acting as a fiduciary on your behalf, or really if they even understand your vision for building a household in the vein of Abraham himself. Outpost Advisors is different in that regard. They are financial life planners, which means that when you become a client of Outpost, you'll be guided through a unique process to unearth your purpose as a family, define a vision, and then faithfully deploy your resources in service of that vision. Outpost works with all sorts of households, from those just getting started to folks who are stewarding grandchildren and navigating retirement. So if you're looking for help as you build your own Abrahamic outpost, head over to outpostadvisors.net and set up a free call today to learn about how Outpost Advisors can help your family. Hi team, I just wanted to take a little bit of your time today and talk to you about a little secret I've been pondering, one of God's secrets. Um, This secret can lead to all kinds of wonderful things, but like so many other things of God, when we first confront it, it can feel a little bit like the twisty pinch grandma gives you for giggling in church. There might be some uh uh-oh moments where you feel like you're in trouble or you feel a little bit afraid of what the implications are, but I beg you, don't let that dissuade you from hearing me out. There is a rich vein here and there is gold to be found. Uh, But I just want to encourage you to gird up them loins, squint your eyes, and steel yourself to receive some good stuff. Okay? You ready? Let's ride. Now, my home church is presently going through Robert Morris's The Blessed Life. It's a famous book of his, and it's a series he's been taking his church through every three years or so since 2002. And, and he turned it into a book. And, and it's about money and other things, and you'd be well served to check it out. But I want to participate in the luxury of ripping off his content right now and reacting to it because it connects some dots for me. And I always get a thrill out of learning a deeper scriptural theme that connects data points that are floating around independently in my brain. So here's the principle first. Ready? God is preeminent over all things at all times. Even if you deny him this and you temporarily steal his glory, he will eventually be proven right and you will be disappointingly corrected. As first and preeminent above all things, he demands the first part of any and everything to either be sacrificed or redeemed. The first part of whatever it is matters an awful lot to him. I'll give you three examples. Number one, he wants the first part of the week. It's his. You don't own it. It's called the Sabbath. And setting it aside for him is one of the Ten Commandments. It's not a gift you give him. It's something that's already his. And you just rendered it. You just render it to him. Number two, when Israel marched around Jericho and it fell, God said, I want the gold and silver you find. Don't keep any of that. Bring it into my treasury. If you do... Everything else will be redeemed, and you can take whatever loot you find otherwise. I just want that first part of that gold and silver. Number three, 
He likes having the first part of your day. He wants you to roll out of bed and onto your face like some of your Bible heroes did. He wants you to do that often. He likes you seeking him right at the giddy-up of your day. So just three quick examples there. The principle is that when God gets the first part of whatever it is, there's an unspoken agreement between him and the giver that the rest of it, the other six days, for example, or the rest of the day, are under his covering. And yes, even under his favor. Now, who his favor. Woo, that's a, that's a big one. That is something we deeply, deeply crave is his favor. And uh, just off the top of my head, there's a verse in First Peter, I think it's 5.10, that says, Find out what pleases God. The presumption there is that not everything pleases God and that it's cognizant upon his children, his followers, that we would find out what pleases him. And if we do the things that please him, I'm not making this up and I'm not wishing it to be true. There's passage after passage after passage that says his favor and his blessing follows that if we do the things that he likes. So that, it, so that first part establishes the relationship from us, which looks like submission, worship, offerings as he demands, and unending loyalty. And it establishes a relationship from him, which looks like him saving us and judging us and fathering us and his provision, his protection, and, and his receiving our worship and receiving our unending loyalty and him also giving us unending loyalty. This is Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I don't know if you heard that. I don't know if you're distracted right now, wherever you're listening to this. I'm going to say it again. It's pretty profound. It's Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will, will overflow with new wine. Now that's, that's a pretty sweet principle, wouldn't you agree? And by the way, don't just say this is some old dumb law that doesn't apply to you. Proverbs isn't law. It's just one of God's ways. And I can't see anywhere that it goes away just because the blood of Christ comes into play and grace is offered to us and the sacrificial system goes away. None of this insinuates any of that stuff. It just says it's a principle. So would you say it's sweet? I would say so. He just, let me say it, let me take it again. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all of your increase, dot, 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 your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. So those are some really good examples above of this principle coming into play, like the Sabbath, etc. And you should observe those. But as I thought about this principle, several other things came to mind, and they all have to do with the family building and the management area about which you and Abrahamic about which you and your other Abrahamic zealot peers care about so much, and that includes me. And that's convenient because that's what I'm here to talk about. So I'm going to elaborate on four of those thoughts. And then I'm going to leave you uh, to whatever world changing you're up to these days, okay? Here goes. Number one, about a first fruit that applies to family management, God wants the first year of your marriage. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but we've written about that at Abraham's Wallet, and God wants you to set aside the first year of your marriage as a gift to him. 
He's super cool about gifts, by the way. This is a bit of a spoiler, which I'll talk about later. But the, quote, gift to him regarding your marriage means that your marriage lasts a lot longer and there's more love in it for the next 60 years. So that's cool how you get blessed when God receives something from you. This this setting aside of this first year would establish your marriage's relationship to God. It's from him. It's for him, and he's the Lord of it, lock, stock, and barrel, the whole thing. That first year is set aside, just like the first day of the week is set aside, but the subsequent years are all included and referenced in that commitment. And you can read more, um, you can read more about that in an article that I wrote about the first year marriage. Number two, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, God wants your firstborn. Now, that sounds like something from a Simpsons Halloween episode, super creepy, like outrageously strange and sordid, but it's not. Okay, listen, the firstborn biblically gets a double portion of the inheritance and also receives the father's portion as head of the family. This is a big deal. The authority and responsibility for blessing the family and stewarding its assets all rest with that firstborn. This authority and responsibility is an earmark of their being set aside for holy purposes. Are you interested in one of your kids being set aside for holy purposes? I am. I want them all set aside for holy purposes. Well, thanks, God. You tell us what the whole, some, what some of the holy purposes are for the firstborn. It's this. So the firstborn child thing is just a dedication, and it's an inroad to blessing. It also applied, by the way, to cattle and livestock, meaning wealth that has babies of even more wealth, which is what a cow was. It was wealth that had babies of more wealth. That means things that are stewarded, which reproduce, are of particular interest to God. That's a big deal. We're going to talk about that in a second, a little bit more. But let me just say that again. Things that you steward, which reproduce, are of particular interest to God. So what I think God really wants is for you to dedicate all your children to him, meaning you'd say, I dedicate myself to raising godly offspring because that is what you desire scripturally. God of the universe, I commit these kids to you for your kingdom. Now doing with that with the first kid is important because when you have your first kid, you don't know how to parent. (laughs) Did you know that? I don't know if you've got kids. But when you have your first kids, you don't know what you're doing. There are many dumb options out there and a lot of dumb philosophies you could follow for parenting. But when you lay hands on that first kid's head and pray over them, you're saying, Lord, this kid is going to be my training ground for how to be a parent underneath your lordship. And I give this whole process to you, particularly with this one, as you start forming me. Now, would you deal with both me and my children as we learn your ways? One final point on this topic of uh, the firstborn. Consider this, just a little bonus to consider. Jesus is God's firstborn. And he's the firstborn of all creation. So think about that. What did we say? The firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance. And he receives the father's position as the head of the family. It also means... That by dedicating that firstborn, all of the children that are born on the other side of that firstborn will all be blessed and their position secured because of that firstborn one. I think that's awesome when you consider the lens of God as Father and Jesus as Son. He's also, just for the record, if you don't think this is important to God, Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, 
the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn among all the brothers, and we are the church of the firstborn. That's one of the names that the scripture gives to us, the church of the firstborn. Awesome. Okay, third little thing I was pondering about uh, on this. God wants the first part thing. Here it is. God wants the first year of each child's life. Now, this is totally extra biblical. It's just out of my own brain, but just go with, go with me here for a second. God wants the first year of each child's life. The first year of your child's life, they give back very, very precious little, right? If you get a smile once a week or the occasional poo that just isn't outrageously stanky, you can consider yourself blessed. That first year of life is about you as a parent giving and giving and giving. And sometimes getting any return at all feels like a faraway dream. And you could be thinking, why am I patiently rocking this shrieking banshee as if she's adorable right now? Oh, yeah. It's because I'm putting love into a bank that's in her spirit. And I won't see the effects of my self-control because I want to lecture this baby and I want to teach it some kind of lesson. How can I punish something that can't understand me? Um, I'm putting love in this bank and I won't see the effects of my self-control for a very long time. So if that's the case, what is that first year for exactly? Who are our acts of loving kindness for when nobody's there to receive them? If you get, if you get my drift, who notices when you're kind to a stray cat, who's it for exactly when you pick up trash in an empty parking lot, who's it for? Duh. It's the Lord. <laughs> Our secret obediences, the secret blessings, the secret, quote, unappreciated acts of loving kindness are for one audience alone. The Father sees what's done in secret, and that includes the care of a newborn infant. Private obedience seems to be his favorite kind, scripturally, and it's an act of worship. That first year is for the Lord. So this is what I this is what I'm kind of uh, proposing about the first year of your child's life. It's for the Lord. That thankless service and all the care that goes along with it establishes a pattern that will be carried on forever, as long as your child is alive. For example, you discipline your child. I'm going to give you four examples. <clears throat> One, you discipline your child. Yes, it's for them. But it's for the Lord first, because we would say, I want to raise these kids to obey, Father, according to our relationship established by that first year. That is the code running in the background of my mind as I disciple my children, even when I'm unconscious of it, because I dedicated them in that first year of their care to the Lord. I also dedicated myself that all of my care and my discipline of my children would be to the Lord. Number two, you instruct your kids in his word. Because they don't belong to you. You don't own them. You are a steward of these hearts, and you're prepping these hearts for him. Parenting, in general, is for God. Number three, you will sacrifice for them a million times as they grow up. You will be unseen in your service. Just get over it. That's just how it works. You should never expect your kids to wonder, how was your day, Daddy? And did you feel cared for today? The, you know, the kind of questions we ask them because we care about them, we don't get those back from our kids, at least not for a good 20 years. And 
<clears throat> we, we don't expect our kids to say, Dad, you must have had to really get several things in your schedule moved around to pick me up on time. Thanks so much. You know, you're just an overlooked servant by your kids. And that's not necessarily sinful on their part. It's just part of parenting. And um, they might call you strict or stingy when you don't buy them everything they ask for. And they might not like it when you discipline them. So again, who sees? Who is the referee? Who appreciates your unending generosity when nobody appreciates it? Well, it's the Lord. It's him. You established all this in that first year. And one more little bonus point. You know, we all know these people who laugh about how their dogs are their kids. You know, it's kind of funny. But, like, why do you have your dog's picture in a locket around your neck? That is a little bit too much. And it gets more and more uncomfortable as the years go by, and they never get to see the magical, arresting transformation that happens in a human's life as they grow up. And your relationship radically transforms. That's one of the returns on that first year of your child's life. You, the parent, change. You change from being a selfish child into a grown-up who takes responsibility for someone, stewards and shepherds their life, serves them unerringly, and eventually, hopefully, expects nothing in return. And you try to do that 100% of the time. This does not happen with your favorite cat, by the way. (laughs) I always can quickly tell if or how someone has given themselves to raising a child based on their level of maturity. If you've been through the doo-doo, you grow up, and that's God's gift to you. Okay, that was all about the first year of each child's life. Now my fourth thing that I consider on this point. God wants your first money. The tithe is the first part. It comes right up front. You don't wait ever ever to see if you have enough left over to quote pay your tithe which is a phrase i don't like it's what god demands as the first part just to apply some of the above all of the stuff that we've been talking about just apply all of this to this point of your money one it doesn't belong to you you're not even the steward of it it belongs to him if you belong to him number two that first part isn't a gift you give to him it's already his you just bring it to him Number three, biblically, if you don't render it to him, it's stealing because it's not yours. Number four, it establishes the pattern that the rest of it is his whenever he requires it and commits everything you steward as under his leadership as well. Number five, remember when I said I'd say more about the livestock? Okay, I'm going to do that right now. Your money is just like livestock. It's wealth that can create more wealth. If it's just cared for properly. Just a note here. God does not tell you to destroy all your livestock to honor him. That's masochistic and not biblical. That's something Allah would want. Allah is the God of war and destruction. Jehovah is not like that. Don't let anybody tell you God is delighted by poverty or financial irresponsibility. That leads to dead cows and money that flies away from you. That's a proverb that talks about money flying away from you like some kind of freaky bird that mocks you on its way out of your sad life. It's not God's heart. God wants the first part of that which reproduces so that the rest of your livestock or cash can come under his blessing and favor. 
it's nonsensical to say, okay, yeah, I technically belong to you, God, but practically this money's all mine and I'll throw you a bone if I have some extra and I'm in a good, generous mood at that point. Come see me on the 30th of the month. You are a sucker if you think that way and you will pay the penalty of being a sucker in all sorts of ways. Don't do that. Just obey the Lord. If you do this, if you act like that with your money and you go, well, we'll see if we have any left over and I'll try to be generous in giving uh, if I have some after I please myself for 29 days. If you do that, just repent right now and change your ways. That's my advice to you. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I want things to go well for you and you should repent. Just repent. Just tell the Lord you're wrong and that you want him to change your heart. You might be going, okay, but how much is the quote first part? What's the What's the first part of my... Um, earnings at a new job? What exactly is the first part of a bonus that I get? What's the first part of uh, money that we make because my wife gets a maternity, paid maternity or something? What's the first part mean? My answer is, I don't know. I think it depends on your situation. Uh, Robert Morris, who's the one that got us off on this whole topic, he cites the fact that he dedicated he dedicated the profits from this book, this was his first book, The Blessed Life, to the Lord, and he keeps everything else from every other book. He knew that he would be a lifetime author so that he felt like the first part to him was the first book. But maybe if he knew this will be the only book I'll ever write, he would have just given the first royalty check to the Lord. I don't know. But what I know about what what is meant by the first part? I think that's case specific, and you got to seek the Lord about it. That should be something that you talk about with your wife in your weekly business meetings or in your annual summits or something. Maybe it's something that you pull your board together and talk about. Hey, I want to honor the Lord with the first part. I just got a promotion. Here's the delta between what I was making and what I'm going to be making. I don't want to, you know, let them pitch something. I think. I think that's all negotiable. I just know the Lord wants the first part, whatever that means. Do you ever see those store owners who put their first dollar in a frame and they hang it at the front of the store? Why do they do that? The frame costs more than the dollar. And, and, and you know when you need money the very most when you, when you start a business? At the beginning, that's when you need it. But they do this to commemorate some kind of gratitude, perhaps, and also to remember all the hard work that went into earning that first dollar. There's a lot of founders who take no small amount of pride from that very first money, and they see it as a justifying award for their genius. And guess what? God wants that glory. He wants the first dollar. He wants to have the frame around his name saying the first money is because of him and it's for him and all the money that comes after it will be under his leadership also. He wants first earnings. In the Old Testament, that's the wave offering is the first earnings that come out of the field. In the example of the new business, he wants a relationship with all the money that will come after it. And he doesn't need reminding. We, the dum-dums, are the ones that need reminding, which is why God gives us the gift of the wave offering. When we offer it to him, we say, Oh God, all that we have comes from you and belongs to you. Make us righteous as we apportion that which we'll steward. This is a really good prayer. It takes faith to give God the first part. This is part of his training for us. He wants to develop faith in you if you'll just let him. So obey him. 
and you'll see faith coming as a result. Faith is a result of obedience, by the way. It's not something that causes you to obey. You just have to make a decision. I'm going to obey him, and he will produce faith in me. A lot of times we wait for something magical to happen that we're going to call faith, and when that happens, then I'll be able to lay my hands on the sick or whatever. No, just obey. When he says lay your hands on the sick and command them to be healed and pray for their healing, just do it. And faith will come as a result. That's my, that's my feeling. Did I mention that God is awesome when it comes to giving him what he asks? One of my proofs that God is the best gift receiver of all time is the tithe that he requires in Deuteronomy 14. And guess how he wants it given? If you've ever studied um, tithes, you'll know this. He wants this tithe given as a spiritual feast that you get to eat. Did you know that? He commands rich food and drink like really expensive, extravagant stuff, and you get to eat it. How is that fair? How is that a gift to God? I don't have a great answer for that except to say, well, he's wonderful, and all of his ways are gracious and kind. So let's sum up anyways on all of these meditating that I've been doing about first fruits and the first part. When you're entering into a new endeavor, be it a marriage, a baby, a business, a building project, whatever, try to sacrifice or redeem the first part of it to the Lord. And by doing so, you will, one, help ensure that you don't get your grubby hands and greedy heart attached to it. Number two, you'll declare to the Lord that he's preeminent over everything else in your life. Three, you'll establish a pattern for yourself and your family that it's all his. Four, you'll establish a relationship with the rest of it, the other time, the other resources, the rest of the relationship, etc. That's all for his worship. And five, you'll plead his good leadership and favor over whatever it is. Now, as an aside, I'm not saying hand over the first part so that you can get more money or better kids. All that nonsense. But I am kind of saying that if you hand over the first part, you're likely to catch the eye of the owner who's looking for people capable of handling his kingdom. I'm not saying there are no godly people who are poor or godly people that don't raise kids. But I do believe that God's perfect will for everybody precludes poverty and barrenness. It's clear to me, as I said before, that God intends to give us increasing amounts of resources so that we'll learn to rule and become like him in all things. Now, just to close, Morris makes the point, if you refuse to give him the first part, you're going to lose it anyway. I'm sure you looked up that, the link that we put in our article to the livestock and looked all that up in the scripture. I'm sure you did. Um, but dedicate the first year of marriage and you foster 60 years of God-infused love. Dedicate your firstborn and you get back more child-rearing confidence and skill. Dedicate months 1 through 12 of baby-rearing and you get back a changed heart in your own self. Dudes, give him the first part and go forth in reproduction and abundance and blessing and favor. One last time, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I bless you as you hear this. This is Stephen Manuel for Abraham's Wallet.